I'm Mark Haywood, and this is Behind the Spine, a podcast which finds learning opportunities for writers in the most unlikely of places. If someone wants to write a story that you have gotten involved with emotionally, how will, would that make you feel? What would you do if you found yourself deep into the writing process with hours and hours under your belt spent digging through the history books, endless articles and papers studied for the sake of research, only to find out that someone else is writing the same story as you? Hot on your heels, ready to publish a story that will no doubt overshadow your own. How would you react? Would it get dark? Well, it certainly does in the novel The Witch in the Well, a tale of obsession, female rivalry and revenge inspired by Norwegian folklore. I'm delighted to say that the book's author, Camilla Bruce, is my guest today. Chapter 1. The Witch Centuries ago, Ilspeth Clark was accused of witchcraft after several children disappeared. Her acquittal did nothing to stop the townsfolk of F from drowning her in the well where the missing children were last seen. An innocent, shunned and ostracised by rumour mongers and ill wishes. In the modern day, local school teacher Cathy Evans feels compelled to speak up for Ilsmouth, having felt the sting and hurt of such whisperings in her own life. And so she sets out to write a book. But when childhood friend, celebrity author and social media influencer Elena returns to town, announcing her intention to write her own book about Elizabeth Clark, focusing on the natural magic she believes she possessed, all hell literally breaks loose. With healthy doses of obsession mixed in with the supernatural, I asked Camilla where the idea for the book came from. So the first inspiration for this book was probably when I learned about the women who were accused during the witch trials who were not midwives or healers or you know usually when you think about those women you think of them as very innocent victims probably living in a cottage in the woods and and cooking up brews and and helping out the villagers but there was another category that i hadn't heard much about which was the rude women the women who were accused just for being unpleasant. <laughs> and it was like if you had an argument with your neighbor and the neighbor's cow got sick the next day, you could risk being accused of witchcraft because you had had that argument. And women at that time were not supposed to run their mouths or, or be rude in any way. So when that happened, it was sort of suspicious and it was a, a break of norms, obviously. And I really wanted to delve into that part of sort of unknown victims of the witch hunts. And also because I also write historical fiction based on true events. You know, when you, you start a project like that, you always have to go and look at what has been done before and is someone working on it now? And uh, how do they do it? How do they, these other writers or, or other artists use the material that exists, that is true? And how do they interpret it? And how can you do it differently? And I was thinking, this is really a good, <laughs> if, you, if you meet someone else who has a opposing view to yourself, uh, how do you react if someone wants to write a story that you have researched and really 
gotten involved with emotionally and, and sort of made yours if you see someone do it in a different way that opposes your own views how will would that make you feel and i thought that this could actually be a really great battleground for for an argument between opposing characters absolutely and and in terms of doing things differently we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later because i'm pretty certain there's nobody writing in a style or a manner similar to this because it's an incredible exploration and exercise in multiple perspectives and, and storylines but for people that haven't necessarily um, read the book we open in the past with two childhood friends kathy and elena looking into a well and they see something mysterious and from that point on there is a sense that they are forever bound together by that moment and what they saw and when we meet them in the present they are in fact it's in fact we don't meet them in the present do we? we meet them in the near past when they have reunited back in the town of f and kathy has stayed in the town her whole life elena only ever visited and she's returned they both as you say are now writing a story from a different perspective of this witch, this woman that was burnt because she was suspected of being a witch. And there is both a personal and professional rivalry right from the moment they reunite in the store, isn't there? You put them together and Kathy in particular reacts very strongly to Elena's return. Yes, she does. And I also think that there's a lot of resentment there from childhood. And uh, Kathy has always admired and loathed uh, Elena for having all the things that she herself would have wanted in life. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. And this isn't really a spoiler because it happens so early in the book that this is a case of we'll get this out of the way. And then as a reader, I'm quite relaxed now because I know at some point you will take me back to the truth, whatever that may be. But the reason we don't meet Elena in the present is because she's dead and Kathy has been accused of her murder and for some reason Kathy is bleating on social media and on her Facebook profile about her innocence in the most privileged and misguided way I could possibly imagine and I was very conflicted Camilla because what you've done is you've presented me with two dark complex female characters who it's actually quite difficult to like and i love that i love unlikable characters but what you did was you managed to make me feel sorry for kathy and what she was having to do because even though i dislike her i have to stand up for her right to prove her innocence or at least have a fair trial and i and i loved that but you made it very difficult for me to like these women it was that important to you did you want that yeah, that was. I wanted that. I wanted them to be difficult to like, but you know, difficult because even with Kathy, there's some history there, and she hasn't always had it easy. And of course, there are things have happened to make her the way she is. So I wanted to to have a look at that as well. And you know, even when you meet the unpleasant people in real life as well, you you don't know how they got there and that's very interesting to me how do you get there and how do you get to a position like Kathy where you constantly get in your own way because theoretically she could have been a well-adjusted well-liked person but that didn't happen and why and and how and you know it is sad because she does create most of her problems herself 
Right. I mean, uh, to the extent I wanted to take her laptop and her mobile phone off her, just for her own safety, because the stuff she puts out in the public domain when she is appealing to the villagers of F is just, it's so damaging. It's so self-destructive. It's not helping legally. It's a terrible, terrible mistake for her to be doing this. And yet she keeps doing it, right? Yes, she does. And uh, that's one of the things that I also think is a little bit sad about her, that at some level, she clearly also craves the approval of the people she says she loathes. So there's something interesting going on there psychologically that I really liked, enjoyed uh, exploring and writing. Chapter two, big enough for the both of us. In this novel, we're presented with two very different interpretations of Ilspeth's life. Cathy's is a literary book about her life and downfall, and Elena's a self-help book of sorts. And I can't help but think there would have been space on the shelf for both, and yet the two find their differences irreconcilable. Cathy with her worthy ideals, and Elena genuinely believing she has been inhabited and possessed by Ilspeth. The ambition, suspicion, and paranoia between these two women made all the more palpable because of the supernatural influence of the person they're writing about. And for Elena, this is more than rivalry. In her diary, she talks of hatred. Yes, she does. And I think what Elena dislikes the most about Cathy is that she dares to oppose her because I think Elena, when she has an idea or she has an obsession, she she really feels entitled to it. It's hers and everyone should sort of give her her due for for being, mainly for being Elena. And Cathy, she doesn't do that because she wants Elspeth's story for herself. So I think they are both damaged, but in, in different ways. They're also, I think, or at least this is how it came across to me, they've almost relegated Ilspeth's importance to a secondary position because they've prioritized themselves and what they want to get out of this. They're not necessarily primarily motivated by Ilspeth's truth. What they want to do is use her story and exploit it for their own benefit. And that made me deeply suspicious of them as writers and uh, as individuals. But what it also did, and I can't quite believe I'm saying this, but the character of Ilspeth, who is either a witch or a ghost or some kind of possessive spirit of some kind, ended up becoming perhaps the most authentic of these three women in the sense that she knows exactly what she wants and she goes after it and she's not pretending to be anything else. But they're trying to exploit her, aren't they? Or at least exploit a version of her. Yeah, I think they, they're using her story for their own agendas. Absolutely. And uh, I think that's often the case that not from bad will or anything like that, but when you go back and find an old story and no one is alive to contradict you when you make assumptions about what happened or, or what this is, it's very easy to be tempted to mold the story to fit the thing you want to say. And, you know, this is also something I have been faced with when I'm writing my historical fiction Based on true events, you know, it's it's so it is sort of things I have been thinking about a lot to try not to do. And and what really has become clear to me when working on my one day historical material is that I don't know. By the end of the day, I don't know. I can make assumptions about 
they were like this or they did this for this or that reason or but we don't know and that was something i wanted to write about in the witch in the well as well because they don't know who Elspeth is and that becomes very clear uh, mm. throughout the story well i i've often reflected on the fact that history is often a version of something that may or may not have happened written by someone who may or may not have been there at the time. And you're right, there you do have a responsibility. I My novels are historical fiction. They're based in 10th century Spain. And of course, there is clearly no one alive who can validate what it is I'm writing about. But while I do take liberties, I am trying to paint as accurate a picture as possible. And I am always conscious that many of the people I'm writing about lived, or at least versions of them lived. And there is a responsibility that comes with that. But also, I'm trying to write something that is entertaining or interesting. And so what actually happened is often not very interesting. So I found it interesting that Kathy was trying to get as much source material as possible to write her story, whereas Elena is just letting Ilspeth live inside her and tell her what to do. So in the end, you end up with completely different versions and none of them may bear any relation to the real Ilspeth Clark, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. You don't really know. And sometimes, like in this book, you may have been poking something that you, you didn't know what you were doing when you started engaging with this material because the truth can sometimes be a lot worse than fiction. Absolutely. And and I loved I loved the mystery in your book because it's very clear to me that you're a writer that doesn't like convention or or straightforward answers. It's very complex. It's also very open-ended. You left me to do a lot of concluding myself, which I found fascinating. And I think this is absolutely a book where if you gave it to 10 different people, you'd have 10 different interpretations of of what actually happened. And we won't talk about the ending, but there is such a satisfying reveal at the end that I loved. But I also thought that there'd be other people that didn't didn't see it coming, didn't like it, didn't like the way you did it. But am, am I right in thinking that you, you're, you're a writer that doesn't like straightforward answers? Yeah, and maybe even more important, I'm a reader who doesn't like straightforward answer so I really try to write the type of books that I enjoy myself and I'm really a big fan of books that have makes me think when I have closed it and uh, yeah so that's what I was trying for. Let's talk about your writing process because this is an extraordinary exercise in multiple perspectives and I, I think that the listeners of this show will get a lot from this because if I just try and think out loud now about how many perspectives there are. So we open with them years ago as kids looking into the well. And then we cut between several different perspectives. One is Kathy's narrator. She's narrating the novel. It's her story. One is her own book about Ilspeth in which she tries to bring the character of Ilspeth before she was murdered by the villagers to life. Then there's the original source material in which it's almost Ilspeth's diary, if you like. It's her story of what's going on. Then you have Elena's diary in which she talks about her hatred of Kathy and she also talks about how she has been inhabited or possessed by the spirit of Ilspeth. And then you have these ridiculous social media posts by Kathy to the villagers of F trying to proclaim 
her innocence. And it moves around so seamlessly and so cleverly that you almost don't notice. But when I when I took a step back, I was like, how on earth have you done this? Because there are subtle differences in the narration each time we move. I can tell when it's Elena, not because it says extract from Elena's diaries, but I can tell it's her. And I can also tell it's Kathy. And then the narration changes again when she's writing about Ilspeth. So in a way, you've managed to take two characters and show them differently depending on what they're writing about. And it's all very consistent. And I was not only delighted by that, I was also as a writer, I was like, I just have to stand up and applaud because that's so clever. How important to you was it to have all of these pieces in your head? Or did you just, did you, is that where it started from? Or did it become that by accident? I'd love to know how you ended up with so many perspectives in one novel. Actually, I started out with just Kathy and Elena. This was not the type of novel where I had a detailed outline to begin with. I was sort of trying and failing a little bit. And uh, the most important thing in the beginning was to to establish these two characters. And Elisabeth's voice was actually a latecomer to the manuscript, but I realized that I really needed her to give the story the punch that it needed and to make my points clear. And I really ended up really enjoying writing her. (laughs) Um, I I loved reading her. I think she's fantastic. She's so interesting. Yeah. So when I found her, she was like the missing piece. She was the thing the novel really needed to to become what I wanted it to be. As for the structure, I do have this (laughs) spreadsheet that I use. Oh, excellent. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I had uh, where I write in every chapter and with a novel like this, there's a lot of moving around the pieces. And I have spent many hours just staring at this spreadsheet and figuring out in my head how this has to stack up to make sense in the end. So I think the visual aid of looking at it physically before me uh, really helped in keeping things straight. But it was also really important to me from the beginning that I wanted them to have distinct voices. So I did spend some time on that to make sure that they had voices and that the voices matched their personalities. Chapter three, through the lens of death. A dead person does not tell the same story as someone who's still alive. Even if the words are the same, death alters perspectives. You begin to see clues and telltale signs of precursors for what's to come, things that would ordinarily go unnoticed. We read nearly all of Elena's diary entries after we find out that she's dead, conditioned by the fact that we know what happens. When she writes of her hatred of Kathy, it's so much more impactful knowing that Kathy is the person accused of killing her. It was very deliberate because uh, it is, as you say, uh, you read it in a different way when you already have this knowledge. It also makes it sort of, there's something sad or, or connected to that because you know that you're right, reading the words of someone who met an untimely end. And uh, yeah, I wanted the reader to experience that. When we first meet them, right in the opening, they're very young and they see something. It's not altogether clear what they see when they look into the well. But I got the sense that from that moment on, there was this, whatever happened to them, wherever they went in the world, 
that would be a bond between them forever. And almost as if these two people are either side of the same coin. They're two very different people, but they're also a whole. They sort of have to belong together or not at all. And so this moment that we, it would be very easy for me to think, oh, this is just a throwaway incident. Uh, and now they're going to go back and write in their diaries, et cetera. But it's not because it keeps coming back. They keep they keep thinking about the world. They keep thinking about Elspeth. They're both writing about her. It's almost as if she had possessed them from that very first moment and has stayed some in some way or somehow within each of them ever since then. Is that accurate? Yeah, it, that is accurate. And there's also something else that happens in that first scene, and that is that they they don't have the same reaction to what they're seeing. One of them is delighted, the other one is terrified. So I also think that is the moment that is sort of the seed to their quarrel or their disagreement. There's something fearful there as well. And also a disappointment because the delighted one would really like to share this with her friend and the other one is uh, reacting with uh, fear. And, mm. you know, so already there you can see the personalities going in different directions when it comes to Elspeth. I loved Kathy's darkness because she does some pretty nasty things to Elena. You know, when she leave, for example, leaving a dead rabbit on the doorstep, you know, filling the house with moths, you know, this imagery, it's it's all meaningful. It's not just that she's saying nasty things. She's doing things that have a, a spiritual or supernatural meaning in some way. And it, it meant that even though I knew it was her that was doing it, there was always this sense that Ilspeth was in some way guiding what was happening. And, and that made me think this is much more than just professional paranoia and suspicion and hostility and ambition. And, and it is that. That's absolutely there. But there is another element to this, which is the, the supernatural or the blending of myth and folklore, which I, which gave it just such a richness that lifted it to new heights. Because a story about professional paranoia and ambition, that's good. That would, that would have worked. But you've added in this third element, which is Ilspeth and, and what she represents. But did you get that sense? I know you didn't initially start to write her, but when you did, could you feel her demanding more of the book as you started to write her? Yeah, I did. And I always felt that she was like a lurker in the shadows. You know, she mm. she was there in the background. And as a writer, one of the interesting things was that I knew that, but my characters didn't know that. So right. <laughs> I could sort of play with that. I think, again, me as a, as a reader comes in here because I'm really fond of uh, the blending of uh, modern narratives with uh, folklore and old things. And, you know, this, this sense of the, the, the past is never entirely gone. It's still there. It's underneath us. You know, we walk upon it every day. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed sort of creating that eerie atmosphere when you don't really know if it's the characters themselves who are just acting on their own personal feelings or if they are in some way manipulated. Yeah, and that's what makes it so rich and also so scary at the same time because I'm more than happy to live in a world where two women are hostile to each other because of professional personal paranoia and ambition and all of that. And that that's fine. But the notion that there is this unseen presence lurking in the shadows that is in some way guiding them is 
deeply disturbing. And as a reader, it's great because you're never really sure what's going on. And some people may say, oh, no, it was all Kathy. You know, Kathy's just a nasty person. She, it's, it's all this. And other people like me will be, no, I really felt Elizabeth's presence at times. And I almost stopped trusting what I was reading because I didn't know whether is this, uh, wait a minute, is this now Kathy or Elena? Is this, God, I, I've sort of lost this. If this is, Il is Ilspeth now talking directly to me? And I found myself putting the book down and going, whoa, I just need a, I just need a moment here. But that presence is actually very disturbing, isn't it? Yeah. And I sort of really enjoyed uh, writing it like that as well. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, I scared myself a bit at times. <laughs> I felt a little, <laughs> oh, this is creepy. <laughs> it's very creepy. <laughs> You clearly don't like sticking to one genre, which is great because writers are often told, you know, stick in a genre, don't move around, don't confuse your audience. You've decided not to do that. You've written in several different genres now. Is that important to you? Do you do you want to have the freedom to write in more than one way about more than one thing? I'm actually a little bit jealous of authors who are able to just write one thing and build a solid label. This is me. This is what I'm writing because I find myself quite incapable of doing that because all my ideas are slightly different and I really have to focus to pick the ideas that we sort of have some sort of harmony with the rest. So I guess I just have this restless brain that wants to try new things. Well, on that then, what, uh, what what's coming up in the future? The Witch in the Well is out in the UK right now. It's it will do incredibly well. But what's what's next on the agenda? You're having some downtime. You're having some vacation time, or are you busy with another book in a different genre? I do have a new book, but I, I'm you know I'm at that that strange strange stage where you're not uh, allowed to say too much about it. Oh. It hasn't been announced or anything, but I do have a new book waiting in the wings. And this one too is speculative. It's more, this one has more of a fairy tale feeling to it perhaps. And it's different, especially in that it is not, that one is more linear. It doesn't have that ambiguity that The Witch and the Well has, but I think it has other strengths so yeah i'm really excited about it lots of magic and ghosts and witches well we look forward to getting our hands on that in due course as i mentioned the witch in the well is out now it's an absolute triumph camilla bruce thank you very much it's been a pleasure thank you so much for having me it's been great conclusion a massive thank you then to camilla bruce for today's episode and to recap what have we learnt? If you've got something complex to write, whether you're telling a story from multiple perspectives or building a large world steeped in history, get your spreadsheet out, get scientific about the process so you can keep track of every detail. If you want to write a story steeped in folklore, the setting doesn't need to be the distant past. Try blending folklore with a more modern narrative. And finally, death doesn't have to be the conclusion of a story. It can also be its beginning. Consider how you can make the events of your story more impactful by telling it through the lens of death. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Haywood. You can get in touch directly at info at behindthespine.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. 
We're also on Twitter and Facebook as at Behind the Spine and Instagram as at Behind the Spine Podcast. Check out the show notes for additional information and a full transcript of this episode. You can also sign up for the email newsletter for updates about our exclusive live and in-person residency at the Groucho Club in London. Titled Inside Stories, these events are not recorded and not repeated and are designed to put you, the audience, both behind the spine and in the room. If you'd like to go on the guest list, please drop us a line. Goodbye for now. Stay safe and keep writing. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.